Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Years ago, I've, I've shared this. We were in a board meeting, and uh, we're going to close it. And I got up just to close the meeting, and I laid hands on a couple of the board members. And that's where I had that vision of Ray Henderson. Well, I also laid my hands on Fred Stoker. And uh, what I saw over him would just blew me away. And then over Rick. And I saw Rick, uh, I saw him in a, in a room by himself just weeping, playing a piano, worshiping God. And I knew that it was when his first marriage failed. And his wife had left him. And the, this, the tragedy of that whole thing and the worry. And, but in the midst of that, he was worshiping the Lord. And it made me realize why they have what they have. Uh, Rick and I did a road trip about, oh, I don't know, eight months ago. And uh, I heard the rest of the story. And I said, man, you guys have got to share your story. This is a phenomenal family. The whole clan. But when you hear where they came from, it's going to give you hope. Because God has redeemed such hard situations and made gold all of it. So uh, we're going to, this, this today, we're going to start a series. We're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to start with emotional health and we're going to move into relational health. And that, and within that context, I want the Arrowwoods to share because uh, after what they went through, and I, I felt the despair that Rick was feeling when I laid hands on him that night, all those years ago, and he forged a, a, a place in God through worship. And now to see what God's done all these years later, it's just a wonder to behold. And so you're going to want to hear that testimony, but we're going to get into this emotional and relational health this morning. So let's pray. Father, Lord, I ask God this morning that you would grace me. Lord, I ask that you would clarify my thoughts and Lord, communicate your heart. And Lord, I pray that you would take us as a church family, as the Heartland family, into what you want us to go into, Lord. Lord, I ask God in this coming year that you would reveal yourself as the father over this family. And that the ties of familial love, Lord, of relationship would be tied tighter. And Lord, in light of that, Lord, that you'd begin to heal us to a deeper degree in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my heart is full, but my, my head is fuzzy. So we're just going to jump in. We'll see where we end up. Man, they even got a, a countdown up there for me. So this is, this is pressure, man. So here... We are, we're, we're making some changes in, in you know, we're, we're, things are always changing, you know, in, in any organization. But we're, we're looking at our discipleship plan and all of that. Uh, and as I began to get into this, one of the things I began to look at is the necessity of, you know, inner healing or healing of the soul has always been a cornerstone of this church ever since I became the pastor because I came out of Teen Challenge. That was, that was my life. And so uh, that's what we did. We helped troubled people. I remember someone asked me before I became the pastor, they said, why, you know, man, I don't know why, you know, we know you, Dave, and that's why we maybe consider you as a pastor, but, you know, your background is helping drug addicts, you know, how, how is that going to relate to the church? And, and I said, well, I found that in the church that they just use, that we tend to gravitate towards uh, more 
uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? More acceptable addictions, more accepti uh, acceptable dysfunctions, the ones that aren't going to stand out as pronounced and not going to so disrupt our life that we can't be employed and so forth. But in, in essence, we all have the same issues. And that's true. And so as we began to look at our discipleship here, uh, we looked at the, the difference between discipleship and crisis care. And usually in the church world, under crisis care, we'll put things like inner healing, counseling, intervention, even deliverance, depending on where you're at theologically. And I'm just telling you that Christians can come under demonic influence and need deliverance, need it broken. Now you can say, well, can a Christian be possessed, impressed, compressed, suppressed? I don't care what terminology you use. None of that's in the Bible. In the original Greek, it's demonized. But a Christian can have demonic issues that need to be broken off their life. But usually what we do is we set that in crisis care. And so we relate with people in discipleship as though they're, they're, they're healed and all we're doing is pumping information in them to grow them up in the Lord. And if, they, if problems begin to manifest, then we begin to deal with things like counseling, inner healing. Uh, and inner healing is nothing more, nothing less than dealing with your emotional woundedness, the emotional brokenness, the, the, the residue of the things that happened to you as a child that are affecting you, the way you relate to life now. And so there's deliverance from that. Too many of us just surrender to that and say, well, that's the way God made me. That's a personality thing. Or that's just, you know, that's, that's how my family is. And you have been cut off from Adam and you've been grafted into Christ. You have a new family. You have a new father. And you have a new inheritance. And there's a new way to do family. There's a new way to do life that we get from our new father. And all of this is in the gospel. It's in the blood of Jesus. And we need to lay claim to that. And so we have this thing of deliverance. We have inner healing, counseling, and all these things. And usually we'll set those under crisis care. And we won't really uh, reach out to these things until we're manifesting some kind of dysfunctional behavior to the point where other people are getting, you know, uh, speaking up about it. Hey, you might want to deal with that. Your, your, your dysfunction is showing. And so, but here's the thing. We're not going to leave it here. We're pulling that into discipleship. Why? Because I don't believe that dealing with our issues is just for times of crisis. We want to be proactive and headed off at the past. And the fact is, the good news for some of you and the bad news for others of you is that nobody has made it out of childhood scot-free. We all have issues. Now, for some of you are like, I'm not the only one. And some of you, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm saying what I just said. Everybody has issues. Whether you know it or not, we know it. We live with you. And so we all have issues. And we need to learn to deal with these issues. And so Christ's life or the ultimate journey, we're, we're relaunching another cycle. We've done a lot of these. Uh, but we're going to relaunch another cycle because we want to deal with our issues. We don't want to have issues. Because when we have issues, it issues all over everybody else. And it makes a mess. And where this is coming from in my heart is two things. I am hungry for more of God. I am hungry to see the Lord pour out His Spirit on this region. 
I'm hungry to see the Lord pull in more people, the lost and even the found but broken. But in order for us to sustain a move of God, in order for us to be a bowl or a cup rather than a saucer, we've got to deal with our stuff. Otherwise, God can pour out upon us and it just leaks out all over. We have got to deal with us. And the fact is, you can't grow and you won't even be aware of a lot of the issues that you have until you get into relationships. And let me make a statement. Your family doesn't count. Because your family often shares the same issues you have. <laughs> so you guys, when you're at home, you think you're normal. We all know better, you know. And so we've got to have relationships outside of our family. We need to have community. That's why I so love what Leanne is doing with the school. There's a need for us to have relationships. And in the context of those relationships, we begin to bump into things in our own soul. Matter of fact, some of the greatest revelations you will have, not just about your issues, but about God himself will come in the context of conflict, uh, relational conflict. There are things, conflict will force you to press into God and lay hold of God and make a demand on God and God will show you things. I was just thinking this morning. I can look back at the 36 more years that I've been walking with Jesus and I can look back at some very hard uh, events sometimes where it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. I hit a crisis point. Uh, I had a conflict. There were times where I was treated wrong by leaders that were over me in the Lord. And I can also look at those exact points and realize that some of the greatest breakthroughs in my life came at those moments. Because it showed me some things that I would have never seen. Let me give you an example. I remember when I was in Teen Challenge, young 18-year-old kid, and I was at Cape Girardeau Teen Challenge, and uh, a staff member came to me and he said, he, I got on the long crew. Now that was a big deal. May not be a big deal to you, but it was to us. Because you got to go off campus. And they, I don't know how they did this, but they would throw the keys to a student, load a bunch of other students in the back of the truck and say, just go mow lawns all day. That was a pretty risky thing to do. And so we'd take off. And, he, and the, 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 uh, the staff member that ran the thing, he came to me one day and he said, Dave, I was going to make you a crew chief over long crew. Now that was the premier. I mean, that was the cream of the crop, buddy. And for me as an 18-year-old, they were usually the 30-year-old guys. I thought, really? And he said, but I can't. You know why? I said, no, sir. He said, because you're stupid. <laughs> and he wasn't trying to be funny. And so I said... Uh, at first I was stunned. I had, I had come along in the Lord at that time that I didn't want to hit him in the mouth a whole lot, but I was, I was stunned that he said that. And so I got mustered, because we're driving in a truck, I was kind of a captive audience. So I mustered up the courage to say, uh, sir, why do you say that? And he said, because every time I tell you to do something, you got a million questions. And in that moment, I had an epiphany. It's like a light went on and I realized I had a picture of my whole life. And the reason I asked questions, and he was exactly right, because he had just told me to change a spark plug. I'd never changed a spark plug. I never owned a car. I didn't have a driver's license. 
I had the, I, I'd gone through driver's ed, but at the time, a driver's license cost $5, and that was a good drunk. You could get a cheap bottle of you know, vodka for 5 bucks. I'm not going to get a driver's license. And so I'd never changed a spark plug, so I said, which one? Which wrench? Which way do you turn it? You know, and finally, he got so exasperated, he came over and did it himself. And that's when he told me, you're stupid. And what I realized in that moment was that I'd always had a fear of failure. That I would never step out and try something new, lest I fail. It would have been too humiliating. The one thing I knew I could be good at was partying. I could be the best partier in our school. I tried. That's something you want to aspire to. <laughs> but it, I had, I had uh, reduced my life to a postage stamp. I just lived on this little space because I was intimidated. I was afraid of failure. I would have never seen that had that guy not been such a jerk. And he was a jerk. That wasn't the only episode. He's with the Lord now, bless his heart. I'm sure he agrees with me if he's looking in. He, uh... But the thing is, I would have never recognized that. A relational conflict is often... You ever seen somebody, they're getting, in a, they're getting in a heated argument, and all of a sudden they start crying, and all of a sudden all this stuff comes out? It wouldn't have come out without the pressure of that conflict. So we need to be whole emotionally... But you can't get whole alone. You need others. You can't grow alone. That's why a number of months ago, I preached a series a couple of weeks on how is your corporate relationship with God? We always want to talk about your personal relationship. Well, that's great, you and Jesus. But there's a whole lot of you that will never be tapped, never, never come up and out of you. There's a whole lot of untapped potential that will never be discovered, uncovered, outside of relationships with other people. Some of that is other people believing in you more than you believe in yourself. They're going to see things in you and call it out. But that's not always. That's the better way. That's the way we like. Sometimes it's people telling you you're stupid. Sometimes it's being in those relationships and just working through them. And the conflict of those relationships bring forth the best in you and cause you to develop. It places a demand on you. No pain, no gain. That's how we grow. And so we need one another. But here's the catch. You can't have healthy relationships without being a healthy individual. Now, the, the, case is, the fact is that much of the way we come into health is getting into re healthy relationships and our unhealth manifests. It comes up, it exposes itself, and we have to work through that. A lot of this, you're ne you're never, a lot of your personal issues will never be understood or recognized outside of relational interaction. But the fact is, your relationships are never going to be fully healthy unless you are personally healthy. And unless we are relational healthy, you and I, as a church, cannot contain what God wants to send. And I've just felt this burden in this regard. I was on the phone with Bob Hazlett a few weeks ago. Most of you know Bob. If you don't know him, Bob's a prophet, and he's, on our, uh, he's our, one of our external overseers, one of three. And uh, he's going to be with us. Is, is he going to be with us this year? Yeah. In October, yeah. And so Bob will be back with us. We haven't had him in for a couple of years, and it's always great when Bob's here. You don't want to miss it. Uh, but he was telling me about a dream that he had, and I won't go into the dream, 
But it was very, it was a very prophetic dream. And uh, if you know Bob, man, that, that, the man is dialed in. And, uh, but out of that dream, one of the things he said, he, he said he feels like the next thing that's coming. This is the way he assessed it. He said the last, the last 20 years have been the prophet and the evangelist coming to the forefront and signs and wonders being pressed out into the marketplace. And I'll tell you, talk like that doesn't seem as crazy now. 20 years ago, you talk like that, and people are like, who are you and where did you come from? And I have a doctor that could help you with that. <laughs> but now, within the charismatic, prophetic church, that's common terminology. But he said, I feel like what's the, on the horizon next is the apostolic and the pastoral coming together. And church homes church families that are able to receive the harvest that God's going to send. But in order for us to be a good church home, we got to be a good church family. And in order for us to be a good church family, we have to be relationally healthy. And in order for us to be relationally healthy, we've got to be personally healthy. And so these two things go hand in hand. Now, the fact is, we are a Trinitarian being. We're, we're made in God's image. Just like God, we are Trinitarian. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made in His image. We are spirit, soul, and body. That is how we're made. Our spirit is that, that organ of our nature that can hear from God, sense God. Uh, many of you, you'll sit in a service and all of a sudden you'll be aware. Oh, wait, there's something about to happen. There'll be a, there's going to be a tongues and interpretation. That's your spirit sensing things. You're dialed in. Your spirit man is that element of your nature that can commune with God. That's the element of our nature that died in sin with Adam and Eve. And so we were born dead. Our spirit man was dead. And when we got saved, when we received Jesus, it's what Jesus talked about when he said, you must be born again. Nicodemus Rightfully asked, do I have to go back in my mother's womb? How do you do this? He's saying, no, it's, it's a spiritual birth where our spirit man was born again. I'll never forget when I got saved, that moment, it's like everything came alive. I, I often think of it as like I had this, this one-dimensional black and white world, and all of a sudden it became three-dimensional. There there, everything became colored. There was music. Everything smelled better. The sun was brighter. It was, I got up the next morning. I was like, oh, my goodness. It was like when I got glasses the first time. I realized, you know, grass is individual blades. <laughs> this is amazing. That's how I felt when I got saved. I was seeing things different. I was picking up on things. I was picking up on things with people, and I didn't realize it. And I thought, no, no. And then they do something like, oh, that was God. It was just a crazy, my spirit man was alive. But it was in an infant form. That's what we talk about baby Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3 go into this. Paul talks about those who are, um, he said, you're acting like mere men. He's rebuking them. because they're, You ever hear a believer say, I'm just human? You don't get to use that as an excuse. You are born again. You are a new creation, a new race of men, and the power of God lives within you, so we don't need to make excuses. If we fall, we repent, we get back up, but excuses simply give, justify us staying in the same place. We are not mere men. But Paul talks about baby Christians. He says, he, he rebukes the Corinthians, he said, you're fleshly, you're carnal, 
You're acting like infants. Now, there's been books read on, written on carnal Christianity. Some people say, that's an oxymoron. Not really. It, it's, it's speaking of that infantile, uh, immature, initial state when we're saved. There, we're still, we, we still have the, the values of the flesh. My spirit was saved, but my soul, where my mind, will, and emotions reside, are not saved. They're being saved. It's a process. My mind needs to be renewed. There was a whole lot of things I didn't understand when I got saved. My emotions need to be saved. My emotions need to be tamed. My emotions need to be healed. They need to take their rightful place in the divine order. Under my spirit and under my mind and as a result of my thinking and not the cause of my behavior. That's a whole other sermon. Because your emotions are not to dictate to your will what you're to do. Emotions are like background, it's like elevator music. It enhances the scene. It's not a concert. <laughs> you're not driven by your emotions. But we need to learn that. And so, when we first get saved, our spirit man is just an embryonic form. It can barely make itself known. It can barely assert itself in our life. So that's why Paul says in Romans 7, he said, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. Oh, Lord, who will deliver me from this body of death? He was a bundle of contradictions. He had a heart for God. Prior to being saved, he said, he looked back on his pre-Christian life, he said, according to the law, I was spotless. Once the Spirit of God lived within him, he was no longer comfortable with his internal compromises. And he said, God, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. So he's infant. Paul talks about the baby Christian. And then he, said, he talks about us growing into adulthood. Well, we're spirit-led. Our spirit man is at the forefront. Our spirit man is communing with God, and God speaks to us, and we tell our soul what to do. And, and we tell our body what to do. And fasting is just a good exercise to every now and then say, Body, get over there. You're not going to eat for a while. You're going to follow me. And we put our flesh under subjection just to let it know who's boss. But our, our, our body is not driving us. Before I met Jesus, I lived for my body. Whatever made my body and my emotions feel pleasure, that's what I was into. And it was destroying me. And so we get saved, but we need to grow up in God. So how do we grow? How do we grow that, that infant expression of the, the new birth? We feed it. Peter talks about, in 1 Peter he says, uh, drink the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He's talking about taking in the word of God, and the word of God, like, he says, like a newborn infant, it will cause you to grow. If you ever looked at a kid and then looked at the size of the bottle, commensurate to his body, how much he's taken in, that's a lot of food. If you did that, you'd be in the hospital. I mean, it's like drinking your thigh worth of protein milk, you know, four times a day. That's a lot of food. But a baby is at that stage where it just takes in enormous amounts and it grows. So we, we, it, Peter tells us, drink the word. 
We also need to be in relationship because we don't even know the issues that we need to deal with. The other thing is uh, we, we need to deal with the barriers to that growth. It's like a seed that goes into the ground. A seed will grow unless it hits a barrier, and then it'll try to find a way around it. You don't want to work around your issues. You want to remove your issues so that we can continue to grow. And that's where relationships come in. And so we're spirit, soul, and body. But the fact is what we receive through our spirit from God is going to be strained through our soul as it gets to others. Your lenses, how you see God, how you see yourself, how you see life itself, are going to dictate how you receive from God. And if you can't deal with those soul issues... I know for me, when I, when I first got saved, I was in Teen Challenge, and uh, there was a, a uh, the, the assistant director at the time, he went to be with the Lord as well. I guess Teen Challenge is hard on you. All these people have been with the Lord now. But uh, he, he had, he had uh, really operated in the word of knowledge, and he sat me down and, and uh, went through some inner healing. Just he heard from God and spoke some things over me and asked me about him, and God opened some things up. And, that was good, but this, this root issue hadn't been dealt with. And I was just getting ready to graduate. And this, uh, this man of God at uh, the, the Cape Girardeau Center that I was at, where I was going to graduate, uh, he called me in and just sat me down. He's talking. He said, Dave, as I'm listening to you, I, I hear the Lord saying, sister, what does that mean to you? And all of a sudden I knew. Because there was this deep lie inside of me that my dad loved my sister but didn't love me. I thought my dad... Now, my dad and my sister had a very special relationship. He had one girl. And she was sick throughout her childhood. I mean, there were times... Even into her early adulthood, there were times when mom and dad would find her blue on the ground, no longer breathing, put her in an ambulance, take her to the hospital because of her asthma. So there was a real bond there. But my dad loved me. And as we're talking, we're, we're working through... Uh, he, he's sharing this. He said, the Lord spoke to me, sister. All of a sudden, I realized the lie that I believed. And I believe it was in that context. It's been a long time ago. But all of a sudden, I had this memory of my dad coming into my room when I was about probably 14 years old. My dad was pastoring this church that... Uh, provided a parsonage, if you can call it that, to our family. And uh, it was when you walked across our bedroom, the, the light in the, the, the dining room would almost hit the ceiling. It was just so rickety, you know. It, uh, well, we were probably a little more rough than that. But it, uh, I was in the dormer, this little dormer, and I had this drafting table and I was drawing. I was going to be an artist. And uh, so I'm, I'm drawing. And then my dad came in, which was not very common. My dad came in and, how you doing, Dave? I said, good. <laughs> well, I, I could tell, oh, this is one of those moments, dad, father, you know, father, son talk. And it was just awkward, small talk. And, and he kind of inched his way over to me. And now you got to understand, my dad, he, he had a, one messed up childhood. His mom burned to death in front of him when he was six. His dad was an alcoholic. He was farmed out to all these families that abused him. And then he got saved to a, and then got married to a woman who had her own issues, and I'm the product. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and my dad's kind of inching over to me, and finally he said, you know, Dave, uh, and he kind of started, and he said, you know, I, uh, and he stepped inside that dormer and put his arm around me, and he had to kind of bend over to do it. And he said, you know, I love you, 
And he just had his arm around me for a minute. I said, uh, yeah. And then he walked out. And at the time, I thought, that was awkward. But now, years later, after drug addiction and alcoholism and a broken life, I'm sitting there in this counselor's office, and the Lord spoke through him. He said, why is the Lord telling me sister? He didn't have to say anything else. All of a sudden, all this stuff just started coming out. And I had that memory. And I'm telling you, God set me free with that memory. Because all of a sudden, I realized how, much, how hard that was for my dad. Now, as a dad, I really realized. I love my, my dad's a man of God. Man, for him to climb over all that stuff. And the state I was in, my dad and I have a, my dad and I probably talk uh, almost every day. He's one of my best friends. But it's because I got healed. But it didn't just heal my relationship with my dad. It removed this barrier between the Lord and I. Because I, I just, I had this mental block. It wasn't a conscious thing, but just the Father's love. I couldn't receive the Father's love. I didn't feel like God loved me. I, I, I felt like, yeah, you know, Jesus died for me, so G God had to take me. It's like Jesus brought home the say, hey, Father, look what I bought. Oh, nuts. Now I'm stuck with it. I guess we'll figure out something to do with this thing, you know. That's the way I felt. And that it wasn't, uh, that event began a process, okay? It wasn't like it was all done there. But it began a process of God beginning to heal my heart and enabling me to relate with God as Father. We need those encounters with God. We need God to break in and heal our emotional woundedness. Because otherwise, we relate with God out of it. We relate with others out of it. We see the world through those lies. And so we need to get to the root issue of these things. And I'm just telling you, there is not a person in this room, and I'm absolutely sure about the one talking, that doesn't have unresolved issues yet to be exposed. God is always working on us, always dealing with us, always moving us from glory to glory. But the danger is, is that we buy into this lie. Well, I need to avail myself of these ministries when things really start blowing up, you know, when my marriage is about to, about to be broken. You know, my wife's about ready to walk out of, the, uh, you know, out of my life or my, my coworkers are so fed up with me, my boss is going to fire me. So now I'm going to get help. We don't want to be reactive. We want to be proactive. Let's go after this thing. I woke up the other morning, and I think it's John Legend, a John Legend song. Anybody know who John Legend is? He, uh, well, I know some of you do. Um, but I woke up, and I'm singing this song over and over. And I went back to sleep. I woke up, I'm singing it, and then I went back to sleep. And, I was, and I'm just laying there talking to the Lord, and I'm singing this song. And all of a sudden I thought, what am I singing that song for? It's, is it that uh, all of you? Loves all. That one? Yeah, I'm not going to try to sing it. But I kept, I was singing, and I sounded good in my own head, I'm telling you. It, uh, I was, I had it going. And uh, 
I mean, if Kathy would have heard on the other side, she would have, but anyway, I thought, I thought, what am I singing this for? What, why do I keep waking up singing this song? I don't know where, I mean, I've heard it many times. I listen to pop music on the radio when I'm listening to the radio, but, uh, I, all of a sudden, I felt like the Lord said, that's from me. But what he was saying is, all of you for all of me. And then he began to speak over me. And now, okay, you got your curves and your edges? Yeah. Okay, he's talking about my strengths and my weaknesses. God loves all of me. And I'm telling you, it's so ministered to me laying in bed. I thought, I'm going to write John Legend a, a letter and tell him thanks for the song, man. <laughs> but it's this thing of all of me for all of him. That's what he's looking for. And too many of us have kept some things in reserve. We're like, Lord, I want all of you. And God said, feelings mutual. <laughs> we say, well, you know. We, we hold back these wounded parts or these parts of us that we're ashamed of, that we're embarrassed of, that we don't want to talk about. And I'm telling you, the things that you don't want to talk about are the very things you need to talk about the most. They're the very things that the enemy will use to blackmail you and to keep you in hiding and to reduce, like he did to me, reduce your life to a postage stamp where you've given up all the territory you're supposed to occupy. And you have this little patch of ground that you live on. So we've got to get whole. And we've got to have healthy relationships. Because God wants to take us deeper in relationships in this church. He wants us to have healthier family relationships. And some of you in the ACT school have begun to experience some of that. But we need more of that. Because I believe Bob Hazlett heard from the Lord. I believe the next wave is going to be all about strong churches that are kingdom families that can receive people. You know, one one of the other elements of tremendous emotional healing in people's lives... There's those encounters with God where you'll just you'll you'll be met by God. God will reveal things. But the other thing is getting an environment of people who will validate and affirm you. See, the people I ran around with, we didn't affirm each other. Man, we we were always sarcastic, and it was someone was going to be made fun of. It just depended on who it would be that day. And you you tried to be the you know one up on everybody else. None of us trusted each other. We stole from each other. It was not a good situation. It's amazing we're friends on Facebook. <laughs> but when I, when I got saved, all of a sudden I was around people who were affirming. People who were validating the good in me. And it was a weird deal. But we need that. And that's what a church is supposed to be. It's to be that oasis in culture where people can come and belong where people can come and have people validate them and call out the best in them and confront them about the bad in them because they love them. Real family will call each other on the carpet. It's easier for me to confront my family than anybody else. 
My kids know that. Because I love them so much. And we have that relational equity. What God wants to do is do something in us so we can do something between us, so we can do something through us. So if he's going to do something in us, it's got to entail inner healing, dealing with the mindsets, those lies we believe. And again, you'll never be able to deal with those lies unless you get in relationship. Because the problem with being deceived is it's very deceptive. You don't know when you believe a lie. Because the moment you understand that you believe a lie, you no longer believe it. (laughs) You can't, you often can't think yourself out of lies. Sometimes you can. But often it's, uh, the the lies we buy into are so complex, they're they're parts of the fabrics of our, the way we do relationships. And so when we get around other people that don't do relationships that way, it begins to expose that stuff in our life. So what I've said many times, what sounds true in a monologue is exposed for the lie that it is in a dialogue. Those things that sound so true in our own head, when you sit down and start talking to somebody and it's halfway out of your mouth and you're already blushing over how stupid that is. But man, you would have swore by that in your own head. That's why we need relationships. We touched on this a few months ago, but in 1 John chapter 1, John gives us this pathway. He said, if you walk in the light as he is in the light. So he's talking about transparency. He says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, transparency, then you will have fellowship with one another. He's not talking about just knowing someone and knowing them by name. He's talking about real deep heart relationship. The people you go to to when you're in a crisis. Then you have fellowship, intimacy. So transparency is a prerequisite to intimacy. People can only have the level of relationship with you that you, to the level that you'll be honest with them, okay? I only know you to the level that you'll reveal yourself. And so you've got to be willing to reveal yourself. You've got to be willing to be transparent. Now, that's not to say you go and, you know, share your stuff with everybody, Because there are people like the people I used to be that are going to use it against you. But there are plenty of people that God has provided in your life that you can be open and honest with. The church is your family. Your family knows your stuff. And your church should know your stuff. So John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then he says this, The blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the flow of thought there is fascinating because he's he's saying that that cleansing, that these two elements are a prerequisite to the cleansing. You've got to be transparent. You've got to have intimacy. And then you can have purity. There are a lot of people that are dealing with secret sin, and the reason they're dealing with a secret sin is because it's secret. And if it would become a sin that they share with some others, then they're going to be forced. They're going to come to a fork in the road. I'm either going to let go of the truth or I'm going to let go of my sin. But as long as you try to keep it in hiding, you'll have your sin. 
And so we have to have those relationships where we're open with people and we're laying things on the table. And we're saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And I'm telling you, often 90% of the battle is just getting to that table of confession. Just getting to the point where you're going to share with someone else what you're going through. And that's not isolated to some, some secret sin that you're doing. Some of it is just the things we struggle with. you got to have people in your life where you can dialogue about those things and God will give you light through your relationships. Again, how is your corporate relationship with God? There are things God will withhold from you as an individual that he'll give you through a brother or sister if you'll allow him to. Some of the answers that you're crying out for will never come in the prayer closet or through the word. It's going to come through a conversation with a brother or sister. I was just on the phone last night with my spiritual mama, uh, Pat Bowman, lives down in, and uh, she, she now lives by Quimby and Sandra. And uh, Quimby and Sandra and her have known each other for years. And be praying for Sandra. She's been struggling with a lot of pain. And so be praying for her. But I was talking to Pat. And uh, I, I remember, man, she was such a, an influence in my life as a young man. I was working at this Bible school. I was her dishwasher at the Bible school. And uh, she would just, man, she'd tell me, <laughs> tell me what to do. And, uh, but God put her in my life. And she was the voice of God often in my life. There was times where she said, Look, I'll wash the dishes, read this. And I'd sit down there and read, you know. And uh, there were times where I would, I would fast and pray and cry out to God. And I was looking for an answer and I'd just come up with nothing. And then her and I would get together for a cup of coffee at McDonald's. And she would casually be talking and answer all my questions in five minutes. It was amazing. I'm talking profound stuff. God put her in my life, and God withheld the answers from me individually because he wanted to give it to me corporately. You need relationships. And many of those relationships are in this room right now. If your motivation is to go to a church where you are not known, that, my friend, is a problem. You have an issue. And those issues that you need to deal with will never be dealt with until you get over that thing and you become, begin to come into relationships where you are transparent, where you are willing to know and be known and then you step into intimacy and your life is enriched. I want to just read a few notes here this morning. I, I really do apologize. That this particular fast has been a little harder for me than... My wife says it's my age, to which I was offended. <laughs> and then I got over it. I, I want to fast right. I heard a man say this week, you cannot be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. Don't you think about that? You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. Your maturity level is based on where you're at, you know, the, the uh, sum total of both of those. Spiritual maturity, and the reason for that is just what I said. You, can, you may be a person that hears from God, operates in the gifts, man, sees people healed, but your relationships are tremendously dysfunctional then what's happening is what you're receiving from God. You may be able to release some of that in ministry. That's great. Hallelujah. But it's not manifesting in your relationships. 
It's because it's going through the lens of your soul, and there's some problems there. It's skewing the vision. It's skewing what God is saying. And so we have to be able to deal with those things so that we don't muddy the waters when we're ministering to others. We don't want to misrepresent him. We're to, we're to present Jesus to the world, not our twisted concept. And so we have, to, we have to get emotionally whole in order to do that. Let me, let me just get into this real quick here. I've been thinking about this. I'm going to regret it, but I, I've been just chewing on this for quite some time. I've been thinking about how we complain when we get in a situation that is not pleasant. You ever been there? Maybe you're working somewhere or you, you got some relationship or something. Things are not going the way we would like them to go. And what we need to understand is we are God's answer to that situation. That's why he allowed you to be put in it. And we look at it from this self-centered perspective and say, God, if you really love me, why would you allow this? It's because God really believes in you. The fact that he loves you has already been settled at Calvary. He died for you, okay? That's, that's a non-issue, okay? But if we make it all about us and we fall into self-pity, we sabotage our ability to be the change agent that God meant for us to be. So God will allow you, understand the trial, the situation, the unpleasant reality that you're living in right now, you are the answer. You are God's remedy to that situation. Matter of fact, it very well may be your prayers that brought you into that situation. And God's going to use you to transform it. But the criteria is that you not take this personal and make it all about you. That you realize God puts you in that situation to be the change agent. But when we're emotionally wounded, that's what we tend to be. We get, we get pulled into this self-pity and complain about our situations rather than look at them as I'm on assignment here. God has sent me into this situation for a reason. I remember, let, let, me, uh, let me just close with this. I remember years ago, just before I came on staff at Teen Challenge, uh, there was, in the laundry room, there was this big spinning dryer. It was about this big around and it was about this tall and it was gas run it, it, this gas pipe went in and you would shoot this flame you'd light it and this flame would go in and they'd spin the clothes really fast and it would the, uh there were little holes in this drum like a regular dryer but it was all open it was this huge thing you could hear it all over the building oh they're doing laundry and uh, so that, and then you'd take your clothes out and they'd be almost dry because of the high speed of this thing. And then they'd put them in this other one that had this flame coming out and you'd throw your things in it, throw it around for a while. You'd pull them out and your blue jeans would be this big, you know, because it was so hot. And, uh, but it'd be clean. I'm telling you, it was clean. And uh, just before I came on staff, there was a guy who was doing the laundry. He had, some guys had laundry duty. And he had some stuff over there in the dryer that was, dry, you know, the spin dryer, it was drying. And he realized, oh, I forgot to put this washcloth in the spin dryer. And rather than wait for the next load, he thought, I'll put it in now. And rather than 
get off his lazy behind and go over and drop it in. He thought, I'll just toss it from the other end of the room. So he threw it across the room and he made it. Good shot. The only problem was this thing was spinning off a center at a very high rate of speed. And when his little washcloth came in, all of a sudden he created a new center. So the side over here that was bolted to the ground with bolts probably about this big and a big iron pipe coming out of the water for the water to run down had to give way. And it sounded like a bomb going out. Boom! And those bolts uh, snapped and that thing went spinning across the room and hit the wall. Thank God no one was able to kill someone. And I've often thought that is a perfect picture of the self-centered life. God made a world to revolve around him and his purposes. And getting emotionally whole, when we understand we're loved by him, when we can accept ourselves, then we can take our eyes off ourselves. Life is no longer about us. It can, now we have energy to give other people because we're no longer thinking about us. But if we're not healed, we still make things about us. It it uh, cuts off our ability to minister to others. And we're like that little washcloth. It's all about me. <laughs> and we hit the thing and we create a new center and everything blows up because we were never to be the one th around which everything spins. He is. So we're going to go into a time of digging deep and asking the Lord to deal with our hearts and deal with relationships. We're going to go into some teaching on relationships. We're going to go into some stuff on inner healing. We're going to go into some stuff on deliverance. Uh, following this next cycle of uh, uh, the, the, uh, the course that we're doing on Wednesday night. See, I can't even remember the name. Uh, Alpha course. Uh, we're going to have, we're going to go into a series uh, talking about how to deal with these root issues, these, these iniquitous patterns in our life. Uh, the, some people call them family curses. Some people call them family systems. They're one and the same, okay? Uh, the, or they're very closely associated. And so we're going to look at all that. We're going to go into some things because we're going to go after freedom this year. Now, if I'd have thought ahead what I'd have done, I would have painted some, half my face blue this morning, put a wig on and cried, oh, freedom! But I didn't think ahead. So... But I want to encourage you, let's lean into this thing. Let's let God do a deep work in us because he's wanting to prepare a house that the orphans can come to. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Man, right on zero. Woo! Man, that was awesome. There is a God. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm sorry. Just as I was congratulating myself, I see I went over for three minutes, so God humbled me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing among us. And Lord, just put your hands up before the Lord. Father, we say yes. Now listen, I can't say yes for you. But as your leader, I'm saying yes for us. But it's going to take your yes to engage in that. So Lord, we say yes we say yes. Lord, we're asking God, do a deep work in our hearts. And Lord, I ask that you take us on a journey where you establish deep-rooted relationships. Lord, entwine us around each other. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.